150 tons already polluting the water. That is roughly a garbage truck full of plastic per minute. What Plastic Bank is doing is training people living in poverty to collect the plastic and deliver the plastic to Plastic Bank locations. In exchange, they receive credits toward education, food, water, and rent. Not only does this help the individual people and families, but it boosts the local economies. The plastic is then recycled into what they call social plastic. Um, local recycling companies that are stationed in the countries where Plastic Bank has set up locations crush and pelletize the collected plastic. Now keep in mind, while all social plastic is recycled plastic, all recycled plastic is not social plastic. And the difference is this, to qualify, the recycled plastic must meet the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And some of those goals include clean water, sanitation, zero hunger, and quality education. Plastic Bank in all its locations is meeting those goals. Not every one of them, maybe they pick three or four, but they are uh, very attuned to those goals so they can say that their plastic is social plastic. Um, they have uh, a very thorough plan. Not only, so they have these workers out picking up the plastic, um, but they have guidelines for them. No one is allowed to be under the age of 18, and they have workers on the ground that check on all the plastic pickers daily. So in, in that um, sense, um, they're taking care of what they've started. Plastic Bank is now in Haiti, the Philippines and Indonesia and is soon to open in Ethiopia and India. Another thing David Loy talks about in chapter three of Ecodharma, he speaks of property and how the long held beliefs of ownership are being questioned, especially in terms of Buddhist thought. Um, Loy poses the question of whether wealthy people and companies should be free to own as much property as they want, um, including ways that damage the earth. Plastic Bank may not have the total answer for that, but they are addressing the issue. And the way they do address that is in a very win-win positive way. Um, they've done their research and some of the research that they have studied shows that retail trends show consumers are eager to support companies that value sustainability. That gave them a basis to go out to companies and um, present this idea as a way for them, uh, as a really good marketing um, strategy. So not only, even if they can't, reach a sustainable manufacturing practice right away, Plastic Bank had an idea for them to get started, and it's called neutrality. Um, they came up with the idea of a plastic footprint, and there's a way to measure whether you're an individual or a company to measure your plastic footprint. So neutralizing your plastic footprint could become step one for companies to get involved. Um, interested companies and individuals um, can actually go online at Plastic Bank and take your um, own plastic footprint. I took mine. The average person's annual plastic footprint is 84 kilograms or 185 pounds of plastic a year. That's kind of scary. I took the survey and mine was double that. 
Um, there's kind of a simple reason for that. And this survey online is simplistic. They have a much more involved one that goes out with their training kits. But um, um, due to the pandemic, I'm ordering more online, um, a lot online because I'm not allowed to leave the house or wasn't. Um, I started going back to the grocery store two weeks ago. Um, and as a result of that, some of the questions are like, um, do you own your own home? That's a, kind of a negative. It, it also, as, as far as it does boost your plastic imprint, um, do you, how many cars are in your household? In my household, there's two. So that kind of works against you. Uh, as, as far as the pandemic, there's even more plastic being used now. I can't use my reusable um, grocery bags. I'm not allowed. You go to the store and you, you have to use the plastic bags that they give to you. So what Plastic Bank offers is for 185 pounds of, of your plastic footprint, that's valued at $44 annually. You can neutralize your plastic footprint. And that's an offering that they offer. Um, if you do that, they send you a certificate. They have higher amounts um, and of course, bigger, fancier certificates. But companies can also determine their plastic footprint. They have um, an action manual, which goes out to companies. Um, if anyone wants to see it, I have a copy of it. Um, it includes a waste audit, which enables both people and corporations in the Northern Hemisphere and even poverty-stricken places in the Southern Hemisphere to determine their footprint. And they have divided the world into North and South, mainly because most of the poverty is in the Southern Hemisphere. It's not all, of course, but um, that's how they've set it up. Now, if a company would like to um, become a partner with Plastic Bank, there are a number of steps. And um, they can become a partner in different ways. For one thing, they can utilize the social plastic that is the plastic that has been recycled in countries like Haiti and um, become so social plastic. And uh, an example of that is Grove.com. I happen to know about Grove because I buy from them and uh, they sell a lot of cleaning supplies and um, quality stuff. But they, one of their bottles, which I have right here, is um, made out of social plastic. And actually it has my alcohol in it for the pandemic. <laughs> but um, they, uh, and as a matter of fact, Grove.com, um, has stated on their website that they will be plastic free in 2025, which is quite an accomplishment. I'm not sure how they'll do that, but they won't even be using social plastic after that. Um, another company in Germany, Henkel, approached this in a different way. In February of 2018, um, they partnered with po uh, Plastic, Bank, Plastic Bank to construct three locations in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And the result of that, one result of that, is, is in these three locations, I have a testimonial from a man in Haiti. Um, and he says... Collecting plastic puts food on the table, sends my children to school, and helps me rent a home. I live in downtown Port-au-Prince and collect mainly in the Rue Pavie area. Collecting plastic is my life. It's what I know how to do. Even when I travel, when I get back, I will continue collecting. Picking up plastic means work for me and income and cleaner environment. The support Plastic Bank gives means a lot to me. Also, in October of 2018, Henkel initiated a pilot program within their company 
using the ocean-bound social plastic to and recycle to support the sustainability in their own packaging. The ocean-bound plastic was sorted, processed, and integrated into uh, Hankel's recycling value chains. And 25,000 social plastic bottles for laundry and home care products were produced and sold at retail locations in Western Europe. So there are many companies that can't do that. They, perhaps they don't have a product or a need for plastic, um, but perhaps they still want to make an impact. So they have another program called Impact Guarantee. Um, and they become part, um, let's say it's a, a cardboard company. DEF company makes cardboard boxes. They cannot use social plastic, so instead um, they evaluate their plastic imprint and they make a financial contribution. This is a win-win as the company can count it as a percent of sales or as part of their budget. And as a result of that, when they make a contribution like that, um, when you go plastic positive, you invest in the purchase of what are called social plastic collection credits, SPCCs. They donate the money, the money goes toward SPCCs, which are, are given uh, to the, the people that are picking the plastic in the Southern Hemisphere. There's a piece of this I still don't understand, and that's how the people pay their rent, how they pay for the education. I don't know if the governments are lousy. Somehow, Plastic Bank has set up a system, so that's an acceptable way to pay for things and i'm not sure how exactly how that works um, but spccs fund the payment of premiums to their members for the material collected as well as pays for the infrastructure needed to make this whole thing roll around and and be um be what it is um, so a plastic positive pot product is a product that ensures the recovery of an equivalent amount of plastic as was used in producing it. Somewhere on the website I read that um, one kilogram of ocean-bound plastic, which is um, an one SPCC, has the value of 50 cents. I saw that somewhere. Lori quotes William Blake, The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. And he, he quotes Blake's, for man has closed himself up till he sees all things through narrow chinks of his cavern. And I'd like to think the plastic bank is offering everyone a chance to widen the chink by participating in cleaning up the earth. So you can contribute with a plastic positive contribution of $44, and that ensures a, a recovery of the same amount that you use as an individual. Um, Al Gore made the comment that the more deeply I search for the roots of the global environmental crisis, the more I am convinced that it is an outer manifestation of an inner crisis that is, for lack of a better word, spiritual. Plastic Bank sort of took this to heart and developed a faith-based faith program. Um, it, it's similar to that for companies and individuals, uh, but they offer a plan and, uh, or, or a format to roll it out. And um, it has three parts. One is stewardship. On, on that level, you encourage your church or your community to care for creation and to help those living in poverty. That's step one. And once they feel that um, that sense is reached, step two is creation. Do the four R's. Refuse, reduce, reuse, recycle to create a better world for future generations. And the third step is to engage, 
to become paired with another institution somewhere else in the world. And I'm standing on the sidelines of um, Federated Church, but I know they're looking at that. If, um, if you're a church or some other organization, it could even be a school district, I guess, the idea is to create a, li a link, reducing the plastic footprint in the Northern Hemisphere through financial neutralization. That's after educating everyone on how to evaluate the plastic uh, footprint. And um, then that's used to create training and collection in the congregation in the Global South. And I've seen some of the emails going back and forth and they're already giving them a suggestion of linking with a Catholic church, if they would do this, um, down in, um, let's see where, it wasn't in Haiti, in the Philippines. Um, they send out training materials to both both churches and it includes um, an a the action kit um, instructs them on what plastics to collect. And one of the things I learned from one of their webinars is that um, certain pla plastics aren't suitable and they, the pickers have to be trained on that. For example, plastic that's left out in the sun too long cannot be recycled. And also some of the plastic that's created um, has, stabilizers and colors added to it and they're not suitable either. Uh, one of the goals, and I don't know that Plastic Bank is taking it on, but somewhere in the universe they're talking about this, the plastic industry has to agree to change the components so that all plastic can be recycled, which sounds to me like Plastic may be around for a long time. I'd like to think that we could get rid of it, but I don't know that that's what's going to happen. Um, one of the things that's come up is that lots of people want to help. And people go out and go somewhere and they say, okay, I'm here to help. Um, but if other people are doing things, then those people may go home. So. It's been suggested, not by Plastic Bank, just in some of the discussions I've listened to, um, don't go out just to help, go out to engage. And Plastic Bank's message is, be part of the solution, not the pollution, which I think is very clever. Um, to close, I'd like to quote Thich Nhat Hanh, who, states, the Buddha attained individual awakening. Now we need a collective enlightenment to stop the course of destruction. So that's my information. And I do have, um, I, I have the uh, training manual I, and I have a, a video, both of which I can send to Dean if anyone's interested in that. I can't hear anyone. I can't hear anyone. He's muted. Oh, there we are. You're muted, Dean. You're muted yourself. Okay. Now, now, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Uh, send it to me. Okay. And and I'll get it passed out. And thank you for for sharing this information. Ranigan, I have a question. Do they have any kind of a simple um, resource about how we can reduce our footprint? I know they have the measurement of the footprint, but do they have like a guidelines or something like that for reducing your own? That's a good question. I'll get an answer. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I there. Their website is very interactive, and I've spent hours on it trying to um, compress it, but um, I'll find out about that. Okay. Um, 
all the things you said really uh, hit home with me because um, my job, I wonder now what my plastic, you know, you talk about your carbon footprint and I've even had conversations where we talk about our karmic footprint and now I'm worried about my plastic footprint and um, what I do for, I work in the packaging industry. Ah. There's day I troubleshoot uh, high speed automated lines of application of labels onto uh, shampoo bottles, beer bottles, everything in the world, cars, anything that has a label on it. And uh, there's days where I just stand at the end of one, I tweak and I run a thousand bottles and I check. Then I tweak and I run a thousand bottles and I check. And the bottles just keep going into a dumpster at the end of the at the end of the line and so or into a hop, a, a big Gaylord, and they come with a pick tow motor and they pick up these big boxes full of plastic and they haul them away and grind them up and throw them away or whatever they do. Um, but I get, I get cases and cases like now that I've been grounded from travel, I have cases of uh, bottles sent to me in the mail where I'm supposed to evaluate labels and these plastic bottles. And, uh, it's just, I wonder like a company like mine where that's, we make film, filmic labels. We make paper liners on film plastic or sorry, paper labels on film plastic liners and make just 100% plastic. And then Henkel's one of my number one suppliers for adhesive. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so I'm very interested in the corporate. And Avery, I work for Avery Dennison, and we talk a huge game about uh, sustainability. We've done sustainable forestry projects, and we're really big in our new Clean Flake product that we developed a product that's supposed to, when it goes into the caustic wash-off tank for recycling, the label can be ground up with the PET and because of the de parent density of the film, I'm getting a little technical, it's my job, but the, the, the label will float and the plastic will sink. So we like, oh, let's get everybody on our special label material. And then, because you, you, now there's also limitations of taking labels off of things before you can recycle them and, and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I'm very interested in learning more about Plastic Bank and trying to sell my organization because I work at the headquarters um, and I have access to our sustainability people. And if, if a company like mine, I mean, we're a Fortune 500, you know, three and a half billion dollar company, and if, uh, we could probably have a pretty big in in impact if we could sell about it. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, if anything is sent along to Dean or whatever about the company uh, side of matching their um, plastic footprint, I'd be interested in for sure. There's so much on the website, Keith. Okay. Uh, um, they were very quick to get back to Federated Church. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm sure there's a lot of companies listed on there, the companies that are already partnering with them. Mm -hmm. um, but, and I'm sure there's more to be known. Yeah. I, I just thought it was like a buzzword with me when you said Henkel. I said, oh, well, my yeah. company is Henkel, who's one of our largest suppliers. Is that might be a spike, you know, partnering uh, venture. Oh, maybe you could, uh, with Avery Dennison, you could become the contact person <laughs> well. with Plastic Bank. <laughs> yeah. At least, you know, in, in that loop. Yeah. That's at least make the introduction between our sustainability. We yeah. have a whole sustainability department. Wow. So I'm sure that I'm sure they've heard of Plastic Banker. Yeah, I would hope maybe they haven't. Um, Avery Dennison is so big. I, I used to sell to them. I remember them well. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah we're, we're a big company. <laughs> Brandon, thank you. That was really good. Um, and your passion really came through um, and knowledge too. I have a question about a term that you used a few times, and I just wonder if um, you know anything more about it. When you said ocean-bound plastic, I know that there's a lot of plastic in the ocean, but uh, I just wonder if that's a term that differentiates between ocean-bound and non-ocean-bound. I mean, nobody really makes plastic with the idea they're, they're gonna put it in the ocean, is that correct? I think that there's an assumption now in many places and and maybe it has to be a location that's near water a lot of plastic is ocean bound mm -hmm. 
no, I, I, I don't think it means anything other than if we don't do something with this, it's going to end up in the ocean. Mm, okay. So Cleveland, would we consider our plastic ocean bound here? I, I don't know because when I take my plastic over to Giant Eagle and they recycle it, where does it go? I don't know. Yeah. But they don't define it other than it would be going there if they didn't catch it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that the three countries that they're currently in are, I mean, they're, they're basically islands. Yeah. Haiti, Philippines, Indonesia. So it's probably a pretty good bet that plastics in those countries in particular are ultimately gonna end up in the ocean. I, I'm assuming people are aware that within the oceans themselves, there are huge areas that are filled with plastic in the center of the ocean. They are called gyres, and they're in the North and South Pacific and North and South Atlantic. And they are sort of collecting areas because of the way the, the water moves, and there are very, very, large areas with tons and tons of plastic already in the oceans. How do you spell gyres? G-Y-R-E-S. Oh, okay. That's what I have. I, I didn't know that word. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's a group called Five Gyres, and it's related to this. They're very much into... Um, recycling and the oceans and um, but that was where I learned about it. Okay. There's a movie called North of the Sun. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that. It was uh, featured at the Banff Film Festival about five years ago. Oh. And uh, it's a documentary, a self-made documentary. Uh, two young guys take off for some uh, uh, some remote. I don't know if they're on an island or on some mainland. It's in the in the Scandinavian area, um, and it's in the winter. And they're combining their love of surfing and snowboarding with an environmental cause. And, you know, you could accuse it of being a bit gimmicky, but um, it was really very entertaining as a documentary. Um, they, uh, in addition to the, to the uh, sporting aspect of it, they picked up trash all over this beach. I mean, it's very remote. Um, I can't remember how they got there. They might've had to have been dropped by a helicopter. And so they're approaching this beach and you expect it to be a pristine, remote, beautiful place. And it's just, it's just choked with trash, um, not just plastic, but some plastic too. And they, they went about scavenging uh, the trash and built a shelter out of it because they stayed there for, I don't know how many months. So while they were taking time off to surf and snowboard, they would also clean up the beach and um, somehow they would wrap the garbage in giant nets or tarps or something and a helicopter would come and haul it off. And that would happen, I don't know, once a week or in some interval. But it's it's really a very good movie. and it's, it's really quite beautiful. It's called North of the Sun and I'm pretty sure you can get it through Amazon or YouTube or something like that. Maybe even Canopy. Canopy might have it. Oh, yeah, Canopy. I haven't delved into that yet, but... It's free, and it's through the library. Oh, okay.
So some things that would normally cost money because it's the library, you can, well, that's good to know. Netflix, and they have really good films on there, all mm -hmm. different films. And again, does your group do any kind of lobbying? For instance, um, not just in the state of Ohio, but even in my own community in Cleveland Heights, we go for walks nightly and it just it just astounds me. Frequently we pick up a trash bag and walk with it. And the amount of plastic, the cups, the styrofoam, the potato chip bags and, and everything else in the sun, even tires and old refrigerators, in our beautiful parks and there's no end to it and you pick it up forever and so do others and it just shows up again yeah. and, and so it's not something we can keep on doing after the fact it's got to be addressed at the source and who who would be doing that it, it doesn't seem like the producers are well if i'm understanding correctly they in their training materials, like when they set up locations, a lot of times they set them up at schools and they train the school children. Mm -hmm. And um, so the banks might be there. And then, so the, the parents learn from the children uh, about recycling. Mm -hmm. um, is that what you're addressing of, is the source? That Yes, that, that would be a good way of doing it. Height schools would I think be a great place uh, or I guess it would have to be the city of Cleveland Heights. I don't know. Um, but that would be an opportunity. Yeah. And, and especially when they can partner, <clears throat> it's not only for them, but it's for someone in a much more poverty stricken area on, on the southern equator, you know, below the southern equator. South of the equator. But that way people get educated as well. Yes. I found something earlier um, when you said, or when um, I think it was Ann asked a question about ocean bound plastic. And you said, well, us being in Ohio, would you, uh, you would expect our plastics that we consume to be ocean bound. That reminded me of an article I saw on, uh, it's seen on Reddit just the other day. So I searched for that real quick. And just look at this little screen where it says the Rochester Institute of Technology estimates 381 tons of plastic in Lake Erie, most of it on the bottom. Wow. <laughs> so you can look this, it's actually the article is from cleveland.com. Yeah, so you can, look up. you can probably search on there if you want to see it. But just unbelievable. Mm. Yes. I would, last year when um, I, I was waiting to go to something and I stopped at Edgewater Park um, and there was a group of people out on the beach collecting refuse of all kinds. And now looking back, I wonder if they were part of Plastic Bank or, you know, they could have been any kind of environmental organization but they were really organized. They had about 50 people there and uh, they were hauling it all away. So it's good to see that. Uh, I had to do that when I was a kid. It was called restitution. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so look. So back to Joe's bringing up of at the source. When I hear at the source, and we're talking about plastic or something like that, I at the source is the manufacturer. The people who are making the plastic. Those of us, and and you're asking about lobbying. I mean, to play devil's advocate here, when I listen to this. And when I think of that documentary, which basically outed the, um, all these green movements, which were really veils for not such green efforts. Yeah. I, I worry about this. It's kind of like, well, you know, there's no problem. We can keep on using the plastic because there's plastic bank and people pick up all our plastic and they get it recycled. That I'm sure is not the case. And I worry that 
and I wonder about the money behind this. I really do. I really wonder if this is yet another marketing thing to make us all feel good and complacent. Um, and so getting back to Joe's point about, I see that, I, I think that's where it really has to happen is lobbying. It has to be illegal to make plastic that doesn't, that really can't, really honestly can't be recycled. Because we've all been duped into thinking, oh, it's got the little triangle on there and da 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 da. And I, I'm, the, the cynic in me is very, very suspicious of, of, of everything, especially after I saw that documentary, a couple of documentaries. So you know, I can tell you that on the webinar, I watched, and I didn't even watch the whole thing, but it, it sounded to me like they're troubled by the plastic industry and they want to address, I don't know if it's Plastic Bank or a larger organization, the Plastic Bank. They know they have to do something to purify the plastic that's made so it's all recyclable. I don't think they're talking yet about no plastic at all, but I, I agree. I think it has to happen. And I was so encouraged to see this one company, Grove.com, that intends to be plastic free by 2025. That's a hell of a uh, commitment to their customers. Yeah, and they, and they sound genuinely sincere, for sure. I'm just, I'm just very suspicious and cynical at this point. Um, and, and, I, and I think we all should be wary of, oh, great, da-da-da-da, so that's taken care of. I think that kind of belief and thinking is, is probably not really seeing the, seeing the whole, you know, I don't know. I don't know who's behind the curtain. I think um, the way I understood Rannigan's explanation was that, so you're, you're, your 185 pounds of plastic you use a year is equivalent of $48, whatever. So if you pay $48, that will pay for someone who's been trained to go out and pick only the really good plastic and recycle it to that and, and to the a tune of whatever your wastage is so that the, to net zero at the end. You're still, there's still not enough people that are going to participate to make a dent in the world, you know, but as if more and more people do it more, do they kind of cancel each other out and there'll be less and less of those plastics out there and the prices could go up or I don't know. To my thought was there's the training that shows you how to pick the most desirable plastics like raw PETs and PTTFEs and not HDPEs and LDPEs and all these other plastics. It's, they'll train you which, um, and the P, there's five different kinds of PET out there. So if you know which ones, how to clean it, how to take off a label, and how to select the best ones that are most recyclable, they're worth more per pound. And I think that's what they're doing. Is what I assume when I listen to that was they're training people to go out there and find the most desirable plastics, like aluminum. You know what I mean? You go to Michigan or whatever, there's no aluminum waste anywhere in Michigan or, or, or glass bottles because you get five cents a can. And there's a million, there any, I'll, I'll collect cans and bottles for five cents each. Sure. I'll start tomorrow with my PTE. So I think legislation on, the government paying us for those plastics turned in a special way or something would be ideal. But until then, I think this is a way for a relatively minute amount of money, you can offset your impact on the environment. That's the way I took it. I yeah, think no, go ahead. incentives would be really good. Um, when I was a kid, um, we got taxed on pop bottles. So they went back. I was sure to take them back. Um, to to bring that thinking forward and make things untenable if you don't take it back, however however silly it may seem, just that container that you lifted up, maybe that should cost double, but you get half of it back when you go back to buy something else like it. Um, you, you probably wouldn't see people throwing waste around the state parks anymore. Uh, the amount of plastic bags. So I'm wondering about the um, plastic-free commitments also. We're, we're staring into plastic right now as we talk. There's a lot of stuff that we're not going to get away from. 
Mm. Or not very easily. I can't think of very many ways of making chips and motherboards and screens and everything else without plastic. But maybe it's that uh, easily disposable plastic that really has to be addressed. The stuff people can throw away, not, not feel in their pocketbook. No comments, huh? Well, that's <laughs> good. That's good. good. Definitely. Well, I, I think that there's listening to all of this. What strikes me is, uh, I I was thinking about what Keith said about going back to his company. There are companies out there that are open to this, and if you can show them the way, will adopt it. And I don't mean all of them, and probably none of the petroleum companies, but um, I think the other, the other using companies, <laughs> if, if we, I, I think we've got to find a way, the, the biggest problem is, and, and I tend to think this way, I want to be 100 miles down the road, but I think somehow we've got to figure out a way to take this stepwise to get there. Um, Part of it being what Keith alluded to and in terms of talking to the sustainability people and finding those people that'll do it. Uh, using plastic bank for the time being until we can find a way. I mean, with the goal in mind of over a period of time getting rid of it or only using plastics that can be recycled. Um, but I think the big challenge is going to be, how do we get there from here? And, and that's what I find myself thinking about. And I think both of these things, both what Keith was talking about and talking to his company, Plastic Bank, um, and, and some other things, I, I, people like the five gyres, for instance, that are starting to, uh, that were some of the first people actually who brought the, the crisis of plastics in the ocean. They've now found microplastics in the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Mm -hmm. So it's everywhere in the ocean already. And anything that adds to it's just gonna make it worse. Right. It's the adding. I mean, it's it's in it's yeah. in the it's in the animals in the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Yeah. The microplastic is. That's crazy. So but I I I I'm with you, but I, I think we've got the, the real challenge here is to figure out how to do that in a stepwise fashion and get people to sign on. And I think that's the hard thing to do. And no, I, I, I'm good. I think it's important to remember too that um, this is feeding people. It, it, that's not the end result, but it's a step in the right direction. Yes. Um, and it's making people more aware uh, of the responsibility to poverty, people living in poverty. And I, I don't know, I, I, I really like the whole concept. Is it a final answer? No. I, I don't know, it certainly won't happen in my lifetime. But I like the idea of um, passing it on. In yeah, and, and good, good is good and helpful is helpful for sure. And what I think we, we want to guard against is, right, thinking of it as, oh, okay, so that's, that's, that's taken care of. It, it, yeah. is, it is certainly not. No. But, but that doesn't mean something that's good and helpful isn't good and helpful and and for instance keith's company to in, to engage in that and do do less of a less less of a footprint or less of a damage or whatever that would be <coughs> more good and more helpful yeah and i agree and i and knowing my company would be more like okay we can get a uh you know we give you five, we can give all the tax write off up to this much by donating the plastic bank and we can brag that we did it. So it's a win-win. It's like the plastic water bottles. The only time, 
a water, a Nestle water bottle company wanted to go be um, uh, ecological and use less plastic because it reduced the cost of the bottle by 50%. And they didn't reduce the cost of the water at that time either. They just said they were being ecological and, uh, and that was it. So to me, the larger, larger corporations only think ecologically when it makes sense for them financially. So it has to be a win-win in both, but they just won't do it. Whether it be a tax write-off or uh, down-gauging plastics is very popular. But that's where the lobbying piece comes in and, and that sort of thing where, you know, we, we as a people, I mean, geez, why, 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 is it, why does the answer always have to be from the corporations? That just drives me crazy. Well, I will share with you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, when I had my condo in Lakewood, the high rise that I lived in, uh, probably about 15 years ago, we uh, decided as uh, owners that we wanted to recycle. So a committee was formed of people to find a recycler who actually recycled. And it took the committee probably at least two years to find a company that said they recycled that actually did recycle. And it was even down to it that people on the committee followed the truck to where they took the stuff and observed what they were doing with the recycle. Wow. Yeah, and, and then, you know, I moved over here to South Euclid, you know, 10 years ago, no recycling. I, at first, I was taking the stuff from here over to, you know, my high rise, because I still own the condo, and I was putting it in the recycling there, and then at one point, I could no longer do that, and I went to the city of South Euclid and talked to them about, well, where can I do the recycling, you know, and the first thing I loved was that they said, well, you have to go, like, to Mark's and buy the plastic bags to put your recycling up, and I'm thinking, hmm, that sounds kind of, <laughs> you know, ass backwards that you're buying a plastic bag to put recycling on. But, but the thing is, and then I was like, well, where do I put that then? And they were like, well, go down here where the city facility is and there's a big dumpster there and just throw it in there. So I did that for a while, for a couple months, not being able to really see in the dumpster and then one day I was actually able to see in the dumpster and it was just everything and anything and just definitely not a recycle that was going on. Yeah. And it, I, I mean, just the experience of my high rise in Lakewood of having to spend several years trying to find somebody who said they recycled you know, when they checked into it and what people were actually doing with it, they weren't necessarily recycling everything. Yep. Well, that, Joe, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think, you know. So even though individuals try to do it, it's, <laughs> you're up against, you know, you know, you, you trust and think that these companies that say they recycle are actually recycling, and it's not necessarily so. Hopefully it's gotten better in 15 years, but. Yeah, <clears throat> just to um, add, the um, Michael Moore film, Planet of the Humans, was pulled mm -hmm. from YouTube. Yeah, right. Oh. Mm, interesting. You know, I mean, we all kind of fell for it in a way. And then, uh, you know, you find out that it's also biased in a way. Yep. So, yep. so it's really hard to find, like, what the true message is and who the players are behind things. It was misleading. Yeah, several things. 
Uh, on a final note, I do have a case of uh, Bloody Mary mix, and I don't like Bloody Mary mix. <laughs> <laughs> Any takers? Well, well, damn. <laughs> well, oh, my God. Not. And the empties can't be recycled, though, right? They That's can. the most they've important. Got, they've got clean flake technology labels on them. That's what I'm working on. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I, I don't know how I – no contact. Uh, they're probably it's probably good for a while. I just got them. So if anybody wants any at some point, <laughs> oh I, I don't. I hate this thing. So you're peddling Bloody Mary mix. The so, uh, totally the best brand, Zing Zang. I don't know if you can, can't really see it. Supposedly yeah. the best. But I don't. Yeah, I've never liked Bloody Mary. <laughs> oh God. That's funny. So, so Gene, in, in two sentences or less, what, what, was, what was the major reason they pulled the Michael Moore movie? Well, I just think what Cynthia said, that it was um, misrepresenting, you know, yeah. it editorialized the truth and there was outdated data in it. Um, the technology had changed since they had filmed certain parts about solar cells and so forth. And so it was just, there were, you know, it was old some of the information that they were presenting was really old information, so inaccurate. What year was it? Well, the film itself was was just published. Oh. Yeah. 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 And some of the film clips were like 10 years old. Oh. Yeah. And they, they didn't give any indication in the film that they were dated that mm -hmm. much. So it yeah. seemed like this is current state of the art. So when they were talking about the inefficiencies of solar panels, that was true 10 years ago. Yeah. But the way it was presented, you came away thinking, well, that's the state of the uh, uh, industry today. Currently. Yeah. So um, and even when I was watching the film and the thing about the, uh, the wind turbines being so inefficient, and I mean, Lincoln Electric here, uh, they wouldn't be running this. Right. If they, <laughs> no, they would <laughs> to not. Point, if they weren't <laughs> making money on that, they're yes. not up there. So yeah. even during the film, I scratched my head on that one going, oh, I think that's going to come as news to Lincoln Electric. <laughs> well, I, I, I am sure for Lincoln Electric, there were some real major and probably still are tax incentives for them having built that. <laughs> oh, it's good yeah. PR. Too. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, multiple reasons. I have a good friend who, who works there, and they do, if you notice, sometimes it's not turning because they use it to power right. where they, they build the welders inside that facility, and uh, they use it for all their electrical needs, and then they charge batteries to run off of, and then they even filter some of it off to other batteries that go to someone else or somewhere else to be sold, so they're making money off of it. Yeah, you can yeah, sell it. That's good. And when that gets backed up, they just stop it from turning because they have nowhere to store electricity that's coming out of it. Yeah. So. Hmm. yeah. That's a big that's one. That's good to so, hear. So you're saying, Keith, that um, actually when that stopped, that's because the only yeah, reason they stop it is because, uh, well, they probably also stop it if the wind's too high. Yeah. I do know they can't run them, but other than that, when it's stopped, it's because they can't store any more electricity. Is that what you're saying? That's how it was explained to me, yeah, my buddy who works here. Yeah. Wow. Okay. When the wind gets to, to a certain extent, the modern turbines just tether the, the air, uh, blades so that they remain at a constant speed. They have eddy current clutches that will break them a little bit, or they tether the, yeah. all kinds of good stuff. But normally, anything with that much investment they also have net metering and they just put it back on the wire if they don't need it whether it's day or night so maybe they just didn't bother to do that huh or, or maybe it's older technology well, it sounds like you're way more of an expert in that than i am i'm just relaying a message <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty big turbine so it's got it's yeah. new technology automatically by the size of it it's Looks like a two or three kW uh, unit, <laughs> or a megawatt unit. Yeah, I'd say it's uh, it's got to be close to ten years old. 
Oh, yeah, that's at least 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. It was like one of the biggest ones ever when it came in. So it was at the leading edge of that. So I don't know. I remember they made a big stink about that. The biggest one in the state for sure when it was installed. I just want to thank Gene for sharing that because I, ever since I saw that movie, I wanted to jump off the high level bridge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't watch it yet. Yeah. I just watched it a couple weeks ago. Did they just recently pull it off? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Monday. Yeah. Because it was before I included information in my uh, email I sent out, uh, or Tuesday rather, because I sent this week's email on Tuesday. And I saw it just before I, uh, I did the email. So I, I go, oh my gosh, I better make mention of this. This is important. So, yeah, but you, you also mentioned it a couple weeks ago about it being misleading. Right. One of your misleading. Monday emails you. Yeah, that's right. You talked about it being misleading. Exactly, because that immediately started uh, to come out. And uh, yeah. Science News, which I subscribe to, had a, a significant piece about it. But the uh, yanking it from YouTube, actually, it was at the request. And this is another example of, of the misleading nature of the clips they used. They used a clip that uh, the director of the original piece the clip came from wasn't asked for his permission to use it. And uh, that he was the one that triggered having it pulled off of YouTube because he was an environmental activist. He was very disturbed by what the film had done uh, to the movement. And uh, he just, rather than going to to Michael Moore and the production company just decided I'm going right to YouTube and telling them, you know, pull it off. They're using that clip without my permission. Uh, Don't show it on YouTube anymore. And YouTube immediately yanked it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the full story behind that. (laughs) So Mark, if you still need a reason to jump off the bridge, You Don't do watch. it, Mark. Don't do it. The last mountain. Oh wait, maybe that won't be pulled because it's all true. <laughs> it's, a, it's an excellent documentary about uh, how the coal mining industry was blowing mountain tops off the mountains in West Virginia to get. Oh up my the God! So they didn't have oh. to do it. Yeah, ma- massive coal, ma- coal mines. Actually, opened up. Pardon. No, I said Massey coal mines. Yeah, it opened in Cleveland at the uh, Cedar Lee Theater. The director and the producer and several residents of that area came here for the opening of that documentary. Yeah. What's the name of the documentary? The Last Mountain. Yeah. Last Mountain, okay. Hmm. I, I didn't hear you, yeah, my cushion. I cut the first word is at last, blast, or glass. L A S T. L L A S T. Thanks. And I'll just plan on staying on my cushion. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the better choice. <laughs> well, thanks, Randy, again, despite my. Uh, Cynicism. Hey, hey. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> Thanks, Reinigan. Yes. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Reinigan. Yeah, that was great, Reinigan. Thank you. Listening.